So thank you very much for allowing me to speak during your festival. I've been uh, giving a series of lectures on Srila Swami's Sandarbhas. And this evening's lecture will be the 15th. And we have just finished up the section of the Tattva Sandarbha, the first of the six Sandarbhas, dealing with epistemology. So I thought it would be a good time to give those that haven't had an opportunity to listen to the lectures a recap as a preview, as an introduction into the significance of the Sandarbhas of Jiva Goswami to our lineage, the Madhvagadhyaya Sampradaya, and specifically to to the necessity of proper approach to one of the five items, or one of the nine items, or one of the six, the four items of devotional practice. Of course, Srila Rupa Goswami refers to 64 primary angas of bhakti. For Lad Maharaj in the Bhagavatam, he emphasizes nine items for our practice of bhakti. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he cuts it down to five. Doesn't really cut it down. He uh, he puts these things at the uh, very top of the list. And we need to understand that uh, Bhakti Devi is so powerful that any one of these, well, at least the nine and five, any one of those is sufficient to uh, to situate us firmly in the practice of bhakti, in pursuit of uh, spiritual life. So one of the five items that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu emphasizes is Bhagavat Shravana, hearing from the Bhagavat. This one comment and also Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's comment that Srimad Bhagavatam is the spotless Purana, these comments alone are so significant to the practice of devotional service. And understanding this significance allows us to properly understand, understand the relationships of the, very, of the practices of devotional service. Sambandha, Abhideya, Prayojan, and what is the objective of those. Satsandarvas are meant to give us the proper conceptual orientation for our approach to the Srimad Bhagavatam. And the Tattva Sandarbha begins with what's called epistemology, the nature of knowing, a methodology for acquiring knowledge. The first portion of the Tattva Sandarbha deals specifically with what is, the, what is the best means of acquiring knowledge? If we want to have knowledge, what is the absolute best means of acquiring knowledge? And then, what's knowable? What's, what's worth, what's of any value for us to know? So that's ontology. So the first section is epistemology. How do we acquire relevant knowledge in relationship to Ontology, the supreme knowable object for humanity. So this will be a, a review of what we've covered in, as I said, 14 lectures. We've covered basically one half of the Tattvas and Dharva dealing with epistemology. We're going to go pretty quickly. I'm going to bring out the highlights and hopefully in that way capture your mind and your fuel somehow your devotional uh, practice by giving you some of these highlights from the first part of the Tattva Sandarbha. So the Sandarbhas, there are six Sandarbhas. 
There's the Tattva Sandarbha, the Bhagavat Sandarbha, the Paramat Sandarbha, the Krishna Sandarbha, the Bhakti Sandarbha, and the Preeti Sandarbha. The first four deal with Sambandha, relationship. The fifth deals with Abhideya, the practice, that's the Bhakti Sandarbha. And the sixth deals with <coughs> the goal, the Prayojan, so Preeti Sandarbha. To put in perspective a little of what Jiva accomplished in putting forth the Srimad Bhagavatam as the ultimate evidence for spiritual life is to look at the times. And at the times in India, all the Vedantic schools, which are based on Apurusheya, uh, Prama, that's uh, non-human sound vibration, Sabda Brahman. All those schools developed their Siddhanta on the ten principal Upanishads, the Vedanta Sutra, a commentary on the Vedanta, and on the Bhagavad Gita. All of the schools of thought, Vedic schools of thought at that time, depended on these three to develop their Siddhanta. Well, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu looked on the Srimad Bhagavatam as the spotless Purana, as brilliant as the sun. It's arisen after Lord Krishna's departure, more or less to give us to continue to give us his personal association. In putting forth the Bhagavatam and establishing this epistemology, this way of acquiring spiritual knowledge, transcendent knowledge, it was revolutionary at the time, you can imagine. And the beginning of the Tattvasandarbha, he goes very systematically through a presentation to, of course, first establish the epistemology of Vedic knowledge itself, and then to carry that on and say, and of all the, all the Vedic <coughs> knowledge that's available to us, all this transcendental sound vibration, all this Sabda Praman, of all of this, Srimad Bhagavatam is to be seen as the topmost. At the time, revolutionary, as I said. Everyone was depending, every school of Vedic thought was, was saying, well, no, if you have the ten Upanishads, the essence of that, this is, this is really where you, you, know, you establish a Sampradaya. In these Upanishads, in the Vedanta Sutra, and in the Bhagavad Gita. So we're going to go, as I said, a little quickly through the highlights of how he established this in his Tattva Sandarbha, in the very first section. He opens his Tattva Sandarbha with a Mangala Charta consisting of eight verses. The very first verse regarding his is the Dave. Generally in a in a in an introduction to a spiritual literature into in a Mangala Charna, the author can address or not address different subjects, but generally uh, three are addressed. He offers obeisances to his worshipful deity. The author does. He identifies a subject of the book that he's presenting, and he uh, he seeks and offers blessings. So in the very first verse, Jiva Goswami selected Krishna Varnam Twisakrishnam Sanguga Pangastraparsadam Yajnai Sankirtana Prayarya Jantihi Sumedasa. In the age of Kali, intelligent persons perform congregational chanting to worship the incarnation of Godhead who constantly sings the names of Krishna. Although his complexion, excuse me, is not 
Blackish. He is Krishna himself. He is accompanied by his associates, servants, weapons, and confidential companions. He goes on again to another, the second verse is in praise of Sri Chaitanya. The third is in uh, glorification of his spiritual master, Sri Rupa and Sanatan. The fourth is a recognition, a recognition of Srila Bhatta Goswami. And he truly gives Srila Bhatta Goswami, Gopal Bhatta Goswami, credit for the foundation work of his entire Sandarbhas, saying that I'm basing these Sandarbhas on the notes of Gopal Bhatta Goswami. So he's left these notes. I've compiled them, I've put them in order, and I'm presenting this Satsandarbha from his work. He gives a little bit of a qualification to his audience. If you are interested in attaining the lotus feet of Krishna, this work is for you. If you simply want to take an intellectual approach, you probably won't be satisfied here. This requires a special turning of your consciousness to the Supreme. And then he goes on and closes out his Mangala Charna with a verse, the following verse. And in this verse, we have the seed conception for the entire Satsandarvas, all six of the Sandarvas. The feature of Lord Krishna is pure consciousness without any manifest characteristics is called Brahman in some portions of the Vedas. In another feature, he expands as the Purusha who controls the external potency, Maya. By his many plenary portions, in yet another of his principal forms, he is present as Narayan in the spiritual sky by Kuntha. May that Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, bestow love for himself on those who worship his lotus feet in this world. So this seed conception is, of course, also there in Srimad Bhagavatam. Viranti tat tatvamidas, tatvam yaj, yaj janam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate. So there's a lot of similarities between this Mangala Charna verse, where the seed concept <coughs> of the entire Satsandarbha is, and this verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam. Now we enter into the Anuchedas the ninth through the eighteenth establish the epistemology now what this means in establishing the epistemology is this section of the Tatvas and Dharva establishes the significance of Sabda Brahman transcendental sound vibration so in the ninth Anucheda, right from the very beginning, the concept of our shortcomings is introduced by Jiva Goswami. What are those shortcomings? Why can't we have perfect knowledge independent <coughs> of this outside source of Subda Brahman? We got problems. We got problems. We got imperfect senses. We're illusioned. We have a tendency to cheat. And we commit mistakes. It's interesting the way I'm preparing these classes from the Satsandarvas as presented by uh, Sachin Das, Jiva Institute. He uses a very, what I consider is, is a genius way of presenting a tendency to cheat. He calls it misrepresentational bias. Just think about this word. Misrepresentational bias. We all have a bias. But when we, when we present 
what is our truth to favor our bias, it's misrepresentational. And what's that involve? That's our cheating. We have this tendency to cheat. So, whatever, whatever you look at as far as material affairs, we all have an opinion on a situation, an opinion on a matter. And we like to represent our opinion as the supreme opinion. It's too hot in here. Could you turn up the air? And Sumati's like, do I have to get my sweater? He wants to turn up the air. Well, my bias is I like, I'm hot, my body's hot. And her bias is, well, if you turn on the air, my body's going to be cold. Or I like Trump and uh, you like Sanders. No, I'm sorry, it's reversed. Uh, but you get the point. So when we talk politics, I'm going to talk from my very liberal stance and you from your very conservative. When we talk women's liberation, I'm going to talk from the, from the con concept of you know, w women uh, don't have the capacity to be a guru. And you all are just going to beat me down <laughs> like the fool I am. So we all have this bias, no matter what's in relationship to misrepresentational bias. I like the way he presented this concept of cheating, our, where do, how our cheating tendency comes about. He goes on after pointing out well, pratyaksha, sensory perception, has a problem. Four, to be exact. The one is, of course, the sense perception, and the other three stemming from it. Then he says, but in the Vedic schools of thought, we, have, we look at knowledge and the acquisition of knowledge, and we, we can see ten distinct areas. What are those ten? Well, of course, pratyaksha, sense perception, anuman, inference. So, inference means just that. I can infer something. I know what a fire is. I know one of the symptoms of fire is smoke. I see smoke on the backside of the mountain, and what do I think? The mountain's on fire. I infer that. I didn't see the fire, but it probably it's a good guess could be fog, the fire could have been put out, but whatever. We infer a lot, and from inference we, we take knowledge from that inference. Subda, revealed sound knowledge. Arsa, statements of the sages and the rishis and the devas. Upamana, comparison. A forest cow is like a cow. Atharpati, presumption. I know Devadatta, and I see Devadatta every day, but I've never seen him eat a thing. But he's healthy, and he's robust. In fact, I think he's putting on weight. He has to be eating at night. Anapalabda, absence. Uh, I'll explain it. It's, if something's not there, and you know that it, sometimes it is there, well, that's a form of knowledge. It's Vedic thinkers. They come up with... Huh? Conspicuous by absence. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Sambhava, inclusion. If you have $100, you got 10 Atithya, tradition. Baby Krishna, is this, is this a ritual, sacrifice, a Vedic ritual? Or is this just a tradition, this worshipping of Indra, the end of the season? And chaste a gesture. If I put up two fingers, you know it's peace. You should know it's peace. If I put up one finger, you probably know what that is too. Or, if you are worshipping the Supreme Lord, you can give him gestures to invite him to eat. If you're doing a dance, and you hold your fingers like this, everyone knows who's playing that flute. Jiva Goswami uses three, the first three, saying that the other seven could be seen as subsidiary or within those first three. 
So first he's established this. That if we want knowledge, the senses can only take you so far. Inference can only take you so far. But Subda Brahman, transcendental sound vibration, it's perfect in every way. It's perfect. It's a Purusha, it's not it's non-human. It's transcendent. It's descending. It's coming from the transcendental realm and everything about it is perfect. Even things you think would not be perfect, like the urine and dung of a cow, are antiseptic, purifying. That doesn't make sense to our senses, but it's perfect sense. When you actually take it into the modern laboratory, it's proven. So let's look to why should we give so much emphasis to Vedic knowledge as a perfect means of arriving at a desired understanding. Well, first of all, we can look to the great authorities. Great authorities have always accepted accepted Vedic knowledge. Patanjali, Gautama, Kapila, Sankaracharya, Madhvacharya, Ramanujacharya, Rupa Goswami, they all put forward the Vedas as the topmost source of knowledge. The Vedas have not evolved over time. This is a good argument. If you look at every other field of knowledge, it all has advanced over time. The knowledge of physics is now what? At the stage of quantum, quantum theory? So it's advanced over time. Look at all the different schools of knowledge and as we look at them, they've all changed in their perception and their understanding of their particular field as time has moved forward. The Vedas, they're the same today as they were when they came from Brahma's mouth. If you were to assemble together all the great scientists, philosophers, theologians, could they come up with a system of knowledge as thorough, complete, and comprehensive as what's presented in the Vedas. You see what Jiva Goswami's doing here? He's making arguments that are they're extremely profound. They're extremely deep. He's making us think, wow, yeah, if we're talking about Vedic knowledge, this is very significant. And then he goes on to say, he goes on to, to give us a, a little more in-depth understanding of when we talk about Vedic knowledge, what is he talking about? Well, what's it, what is the Veda? The Veda is the four Vedas. And then from the four Vedas, what do we have? We have the Vedanta Sutra, commentary. Then we have the Puranas and the Itihasas, histories and Puranic texts, historical narrations. Let's look at that copus <coughs> of transcendental sound vibration. And let's just look a little deeper at it. Now the Vedas, there's there's more to, there's a lot to come as far as the presentation of the Vedas by by Srila Vyasadeva, which I don't know if I'll get this evening. But let's look at what we have today as far as Vedic knowledge goes. As we know, Srila Vyasadeva wrote down all the Vedas. He divided the four Vedas into 1130 branches of knowledge. 21 in the Rig Veda, 100 in the Yajur, 1,000 in the Sama, and 9 in the Atharva. And in each of those, there are four subdivisions. So this is just to give you an idea of how vast the Vedas, the four principal Vedas are. 1130 branches of knowledge in the four Vedas. 
broken up as I just mentioned. Each of those is divided again into four divisions. Samhitas, the Brahmanas, the Aranyaka, and the Upanishads. So we have branches of knowledge, each in four sections. We're at 4,520 different sections of the Vedas. So do we want to take the Vedas today as our source of knowledge? What do we need the Puranas for, the Vedanta Sutra? Why don't we go directly to the source? Well, it'd be good, except there's a problem. There's only 11 Samhitas available to us now. 18 Brahmanas, 7 Aranyaka, and 220 Upanishads. Wait, that's all that's available now? Of 4,520 divisions of knowledge, we have 256 available to us? 6%? How are we going to get absolute knowledge from 6% of the entire copus of the four original Vedas? It's going to be difficult. We can't even find these texts. Brahma Samhita. We don't even have it complete. How many texts do we have out of the Brahma Samhita? One chapter. One chapter? Fifth chapter. Yeah. How many chapters are in it? No one knows. Yeah, at least five. At least five. Okay. So it just gives you a, a, here again, he's, 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 he's making his point step by step. There's also some other knowledge there. If you want to study the Vedas, well, you can't really do that right out of the gate. Sorry, you first have to study the Vedangas. And those come in six limbs. It's a lifetime of learning right there. You have to learn the science of pronunciation, the process of performing sacrifice, the rules of grammar, the meaning of the different words and their derivations, astrology, the influence of the luminaries, and Vedic meters. Once you get the Vedangas down, then we can turn to the, to the Vedas, of which there's only six available. And you want to arrive at the perfect source of knowledge within your lifetime. Not only that, but you're in Kali Yuga. To become a Vedic scholar, you have to be a Brahmana. Not anybody can just take up Vedic knowledge, study of the Veda directly. It's a different Sanskrit. It's very exacting. And we have poor memories. We have poor food. We're living in a polluted atmosphere. So all the esoteric meanings and... and and keys to the Vedas, despite the fact that they're not all there, even if we could get through the Vedangas and get to the Vedas, we'd still be very much handicapped. So let's look at the Vedanta Sutra. Perhaps that's our way in to knowledge. And we see in the Vedanta Sutra that there are so many conclusions of Vedanta Sutra. Different different sages give us and sadhus give us different presentations of the Vedanta Sutra which carry different conclusions. Every Sampradaya has their own Vashya commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. And not all those commentaries point to a common goal that everyone could approach. So Jiva says, he goes on with his argument. Well, perhaps the Puranas are for us. We don't have to be Brahmins. They're easy to understand. They're stories. We like stories. We're accustomed to stories. And the name itself, Purana, means to complete. So the Puranas complete the Vedas. It's not that they complete them 
in that they expand them, but they complete them in that they, they make them understandable to us. So they're referred to as the fifth Veda, the Puranas and the Itihasas. Together are referred to as the fifth Veda. We also hear the, that the Mahabharata is returned, referred to as the fifth Veda. Vyasadeva gave us the Mahabharata. He gave us the Puranas. And let's look at that copus of the additional Vedic knowledge. So you have your four Vedas, then you have the additional knowledge left over, and those he compiled into the Puranas and the Itihasas. So there's a billion verses remaining after that compilation of the four four Vedas. So if you were to go to the celestial celestial realm, you would find you would find a billion verses in those two together, the Mahabharata and the Puranas. Well, he extracted for us down here in the earthly realm in Kali Yuga five one hundredths of one percent, five hundred thousand of those one billion verses. That's what was av- is available here. Four hundred of those four hundred thousand are in the eighteen Puranas, and the remainder, one hundred thousand, makes up the Mahabharata. There's a a lot of information, a lot of verses in these Anuchedas. Uh, we're, we're up to the 16th now in this discourse this evening. All these, all this support is given for every point that Jiva Goswami's making in his Tattva Sandarva. Let's take, for example, there is a verse from Sonika Rishi speaks to Sutta Goswami, and in there we can he brings out this emphasis. He says, This is Sonika Rishi talking to Sutta Goswami. We know that you are expert in the meaning of all subjects, except some portions of the Vedas. So even in the Bhagavatam we see that Sutta Goswami He's being acknowledged as knowledgeable of all subjects except some portions of the Vedas. As we pointed out, not all the Vedas are available. So we understand, we get a deeper appreciation for the, for the Bhagavatam in what Jiva Goswami is presenting to us. Let's talk about the illumination of Vyas. And now we now we'll gradually come to the point in Jiva Goswami's presentation where the Bhagavatam, the light of the Bhagavatam, becomes brighter and brighter. So in the beginning of Kali Yuga, Vyasadeva wrote down all the Vedas. And he does this in every every cycle of the four Yugas. And the Vyasa is different in each one. So the position of Vyasa is different. So Jiva brings this out. And we're in the 28th Yuga cycle of Vaivasvata Manu. This is, of course, the cycle that Krishna appears in, Sri Chaitanya appears in. This one Yuga cycle, the 28th one of the 71 Yuga cycles which comprise one Manu's life, of which there are 14 Manus in one day of Brahma. Parsaram himself was the Vyas two Yuga cycles ago. Then, relayed is the story from the Varaha Purana of why Krishna himself came as the Vyas in this Yuga cycle. I mean, can we get it any better? We have Krishna coming as Vyasudeva. We have Krishna coming as, as himself. And we have Krishna coming as himself trying to taste the love of Radha for himself. All in this one yuga cycle in this 28th of the 
71 yuga cycles in this one manvantara of 14 manvantaras in this one day of Brahma. All three. There's a narration here about, about what happened. It's a little pastime. And we all like pastime, so I'll relay it, even if we don't get to all the technical stuff. How's that? This is from... Huh? Okay. Gautama Muni, great sage, was present during a famine. And during the famine, of course, there's, there's no water. Well, he gets guests. So he wants to be able to feed his guests, so he performs austerities to get a boon from Brahma, and his boon is granted, and his boon is he will have sufficient food stuff to feed his guests throughout the duration of the famine. What a nice guy he is. So you all come to my place, and I'll feed you, even if you can't find food elsewhere. So they come, and he feeds them, and eventually time goes forward and the famine ends. So the famine ends, and all the sages are there. His guests are, well, thank you very much. You've been such a great host. You've kept us very comfortable during the time of distress for all other living entities. Uh, We'll take our leave now and go home. Oh, no, you must stay a few more days. Okay, a few more days We'll take your leave now. Thank you very much. No, you must stay a few more days. So wanting to stay in their association, this goes on repeatedly. He will not let them leave. The famine's over. They have, they want to go back to their own hermitages, their huts on the, wherever they live. They, they want to return. But he will not let them leave. He just, no, no, you must stay. They don't know what to do. They get together and they come up with a plan and they conjure up with their, you know these guys, they got mystic opulences, so they conjure up an imitation cow and they put the cow on the path that Gotama Muni takes every morning to take his bath. It's blocking the path. He tosses a little water on it and drops over dead. (laughs) the sages go oh my we can't stay here you're a cow killer (laughs) they all leave (laughs) of course he has to do atonement he's killed a cow so he begins to do his atonement and through the performance of his atonement and austerities what happens some of his knowledge comes to him and what's the knowledge What comes to him is the fact that they tricked him. He says, oh, you tricked me? I trick you. I curse you that you will lose all the Vedic knowledge. It's gone. The source of your nourishment, of your spiritual practice, the inspiration for everything that is your existence, your spiritual life, I'm taking it from you. Well, he took it all. Well, who could give all of it back? The Lord had to come himself as Veda Vyas, and he restored all the Vedic knowledge to satisfy all of his, all the devotees, all the sages. Go on. Let's look at the Puranas. So that's why we have Veda Vyas, a manifestation of the Supreme Lord himself in this Kali Yuga. Look at the Vedas. Let's look at the Puranic texts. And we can see that the Puranas are presented, the 18 Puranas, they're presented for people that are conditioned according to the modes of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance. Six are presented for those in the mode of ignorance, six for those in the mode of passion, and six for the mode of goodness. So when we look at all those Puranas, we need to accept Puranas from the mode of goodness. 
Krishna himself uh, recommends that uh, in the Bhagavad Gita. Then Jiva takes that and he says, so if we're going to take Puranas as the knowledge, okay, we can't really, that, uh, I missed a section here where he deals with the Mahabharata. He deals with the fact that the Mahabharata is so, bra- so broad in its presentation that it can't be, really be the prime praman for the topmost spiritual knowledge, the essence. So if we're going to take the Puranas then, we set the Mahabharata aside, we've already dealt with the fact that the, the Vedas themselves, are, they are beyond our capacity, and the Vedanta Sutras are all compiled according to different interpretations, and the Mahabharata is broad for all sections of society, but it deals with Artha, Dharma, Karma, Moksha, and there is Krishna dispersed without it, but it's not... It's, Krishna is not the prime subject of the text. So we go to the Puranas, where the Puranas are, de- are given out according to modes of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance. So if we want a Purana, let's take a Purana that's in the mode of goodness. That would be best for us. All this portion of Tatvas and Dharma coming down to Jiva Goswami saying, and if we look at all these Puranas and the mode of goodness, Bhagavatam is the perfect fit for our inquiry into absolute spiritual knowledge. Has the, it has all the characteristics. It begins with the with Gayatri, <coughs> which is coming from Om, which is coming coming to us and, and a, a manifestation of the absolute truth itself. Everyone can approach the Srimad Bhagavatam. And even though Gayatri is alluded to in the very first verse, because not everyone will be qualified to chant the Gayatri mantra, they won't have the qualifications to chant it, but it's the understanding of it is going to be given throughout the whole text of the Bhagavatam without qualification required. Let's talk about the characteristics of the Bhagavatam, just a few. We look at the Bhagavatam. What Jiva does next is he gives information from other Puranic texts as to glorification of the Bhagavatam as the very best Puranic text of all. In these glorifications of the very best Puranic text, in the other Puranas, the characteristics of the Bhagavatam are given. It gives the truth of the Gayatri Mantra. It narrates the killing of Ritrasura. It has a benediction. If you are to copy it, place it on a golden throne a lion's throne for the lion of all literatures and give it to a suitable recipient in the month of Bhadra, August, September, you attain all perfection. And it has 18,000 verses. What he's saying here is these other Puranic texts are saying these characteristics point to the topmost Puranic literature, Srimad Bhagavatam. Why does he have to do this? Because there are other Puranic texts which have some of those characteristics. A specific one is, which one? The Devi Purana. It has 18,000 verses. It has the story of Ritrasura. It has words from the Gayatri in the first verse. But it's a different story of Ritrasura, and I can't get into that story this evening, but again, what's pointed out here is that's not the one. Srimad Bhagavatam. The Bhagavat Purana is the Purana that's being referred to as the topmost Purana in the other Puranas. Srimad Bhagavatam 
These are different Anachetas, and I'll just read the highlights. Srimad Bhagavatam establishes the meaning of the Mahabharata. Srimad Bhagavatam is the essence of all Vedic literature. Jiva Goswami gives a comparison between the Bhagavatam and the Samaveda. The Samaveda is supreme amongst all four of the Vedas. And of all the Puranas, the Bhagavatam is the topmost. Relates just to give you a verse. Of what use is collections of hundreds of thousands of other scriptures if one does not keep Srimad Bhagavatam in their home? Wherever Srimad Bhagavatam is in Kali Yuga, the Supreme Lord is present with all the Devas. So, Samaveda is supreme amongst all the Vedas. Srimad Bhagavatam is supreme amongst all the Puranas. Then, it, then, now, Jiva feels he's taken us <laughs> to the position where Srimad Bhagavatam is a, can be seen by us at this point in his Tattva Sandarbha. He schooled us to the point where he can now give us evidence from the Bhagavatam itself to support its supremacy. So he's coming to the end of his epistemological advancement in our understanding of how to acquire perfect knowledge about the perfect subject of his book, which is the absolute truth, this absolute non-dual Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavan Iti Subjate. So now he, he can quote the Bhagavatam himself itself. This Bhagavat Purama is brilliant as the sun. It has arisen just after the departure of Lord Krishna to his own abode, <clears throat> accompanied by religion, knowledge, etc. Persons who have lost their vision due to the dead darkness of ignorance in the age of Kali shall get light from this Purana. It doesn't require outside light. It doesn't require knowledge from anywhere else. The sun doesn't need any help. Fireflies, other luminaries in the sky, constellations, they're all very wonderful. But they can't illuminate the sun. For transcendental knowledge, the Bhagavatam doesn't require any outside help. It doesn't require the Vedas. It doesn't require the other Puranas, the Mahabharata, the Vedanta Sutra. In and of itself, it is the supreme Praman, the supreme source of transcendental knowledge. Then there is some discussion of the evolution of spiritual thought from the manifestation of Lord Buddha when the Vedas were misused all the way through Sankaracharya, Madhvacharya, Ramanujacharya, coming to Sri Chaitanya Dev, uh, all to show uh, how significant, especially when we look at Sankaracharya, and he had such a significant position uh, and, and part to play in the in the reestablishment of the ontology of the Vedas, Bhagavan Sri Krishna, although he gave some interpretation to pull the Buddhists in, this was very significant. It was a it was a necessary part in the evolution of putting the Vedas forward, but despite his significant part to play, how much did he appreciate the Bhagavatam? So much so that he wouldn't even comment on it. But the prayers he wrote based on his absorption in the subject of the Bhagavatam, Lord Sri Krishna, from the 10th canto, are very revealing to his true inner mode, his inner mood of of love and appreciation. 
in follow up to that, Jiva Goswami gives some real deference to to what Madhva Acharya did in his own commentary on the Bhagavatam to defeat some of the Sankarites. Although Sankara didn't himself comment on the Bhagavatam, some of his disciples did. And he they tried to introduce in the a Bhagavatam commentary in personalism, Advaitavad. So Madhvacharya had to take up arms against them, well, pen against them, so to speak. There's more. It's a very interesting uh, presentation, Tattvasandarbha. We've glossed over, really, just glossed over uh, these beginning uh, Anuchedas regarding uh, Vedic epistemology. We'll continue with the lecture series if anyone's interested. All these lectures are also up there where we've gone into all these Anuchedas in a very detailed way as best we can our limited capacity. There is some real significance here for us. A real significance in grounding our understanding of the, of the importance to this hearing of Bhagavatam on a regular basis for our spiritual advancement and hearing it in the right way. So what we will find as this evolves, this the Sandarbhas evolve as Jiva Goswami makes his points, is we will learn how to see the deepest and fullest understanding of Sambandha, Abhideya, and Priyojan in Srimad Bhagavatam and how that can really nourish and give us a very sound, <coughs> as I say, foundation for our, for our practice. So it's not just, it's, it's, a, it's very important. Sambandha Gyan, if we look to today and we look at the Vaishnav community, the vast Vaishnav community in the Western world, misconceptions abound. So taking a little time and, and entering deeper into these studies of these core literatures that the Goswamis gave us will make us very thoughtful devotees and really nourish our devotional growth. So take advantage. Are there any questions? As I said, thanks again for letting me speak. Thank you very much for your association. Thank you.